Who's the three-year-old champion male? Maximum security, code of honor, or Omaha Beach? We'll debate that. Plus, the site of the world's first million-dollar horse race is short on dollars and short on time to secure them. We'll dive into all of those topics on the first edition of Year 9 of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll sideways. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch, it's a hip-hopping finish. This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Who knows, maybe all those reviews will get the folks at America's Best Racing to include us this coming year in the Fan Choice Awards for Best Podcast. Are you listening out there, ABR? Good. Now, we have far more important political, military, and socioeconomic problems to worry about in the country than worrying about who's the best three-year-old in American thoroughbred racing. But best three-year-old is more fun. And really, it's the only year-end award that's got some intrigue. After all, three-year-old is the glamour division, and we have three pretty good candidates for the award. Maximum Security has a two-length lead over Spunteron, and Maximum Security is going to put the exclamation point on his three-year-old season. He smoked them in the cigar mile. Code of Honor has taken the lead, and Code of Honor and John Velasquez have won the run-happy Travers. Chancelot fully extended, trying to fend off the classy Omaha Beach. Chancelot digging in. Omaha Beach at the rail is coming to him. Chancelot, Omaha Beach, Omaha Beach, Omaha Beach, what a training job by Richard Mandela as he wins the Santa Anita Sprint Championship. One of these horses will be named champion three-year-old at the Eclipse Awards on January 23rd. So who will be named champ? Let's get some perspective from someone who's seen all three run in person. And that's our first guest of 2020, our good friend Bobby Hall, who operates the New York Hot List Handicapping Service. So how do you size up the three of them? My vote for the uh, top three-year-old was Maximum Security 1, Code of Honor 2nd, Omaha Beach Star. I came to it basically off the thought, Maximum Security, I think, is one of these generational talents. This is a really uh, extremely good horse. I, I was just super impressed with watching him in the Cigar Mile. And, and when you look at that race at the end of what was a very difficult year for him, to be that good, I think he's really something. I don't think he should have come down in the Derby. I don't think that was something that in past years would have come down. I believe he was good enough to win the Kentucky Derby. He wound up only losing one time, and he did stumble at the start. He is the horse that has the exceptional talent. He ran, there he was, he ran in 101 degrees and got fatigued. That knocked him out of the travels. It's understandable. He got colic, very serious uh, illness, knocked him out of the Breeders' Cup. That's understandable. And then when he came back, he came back and ran two exceptional races after the college. I think he is the best horse. And I think when you look at his campaign, it was the best campaign also because he did the two times Code of Honor faced him. He beat Code of, he finished in front of Code of Honor. So he is the best horse. He had the most deserving campaign, overcame the most. Code of Honor 
very good horse. No doubt about that. He wins the Travers. He wins the Jockey Club. I got to say on that one, too, I'm not sure if the winner should have come down in that race. But anyway, he lost. He was an inch away from Dino Ross. He just didn't fire on that track in Santa Anita, which I won't hold against him. That track, a lot of horses just didn't have a chance. If you didn't get first run or have early speed, you weren't winning. That was a deep, tiring track. I could forgive him that. So I'll put him down for a second over Omaha Beach, who, no disgrace to him, he did get hurt. But, you know, his, you know, winning the, the derby prep is one thing. You really want to do something after that. He had a, I thought he ran a very good race in the Santa Anita Sprint Championship, but it was six furlongs. And then in the dirt mile where he, again, had the chance to shine and win a Breeders' Cup race and maybe be the only one of those three who would win a Breeders' Cup race, he finished second. I thought it was a good second. I don't think it was a great ride by Mike Smith. I think Mike Smith was not aware enough about that track, and I think he waited too long to make his move, but still, he did finish second there. So when I kind of put all of that together, it, it led me to, to the maximum security code of honor and Omaha Beach. Well, certainly Omaha Beach just didn't have enough on the resume. He just hadn't had enough races, and the horse that beat him spun to run in the dirt mile ended up finishing second to maximum security in the cigar mile. So Omaha Beach, thanks for playing. They had to have three entrants. It really, to me, comes down to maximum security and code of honor. And so just to play devil's advocate, which is what I do, I mean, mm-hmm. maximum security was disqualified, of course, from the Derby. Code of Honor was mm-hmm. one of those horses affected, and he was coming on the inside. I mean, I'm guessing from what you're saying, you don't think Code of Honor would have gotten to maximum security if everyone had run straight. I don't, yeah, I don't think he was really impacted. I think the horses, I, I thought like War of Will was more impacted. Uh, I, I really don't think Code of Honor was impacted. He made his move. He made a very good, strong movie. He saved all the ground on the rail, came up the rail, made a strong move, looked like he could win the race. He just didn't really finish the way he needed to finish. And even if you make that a lot, the fact the one time they had a race with no interference, uh, maximum security beat him pretty good. And, uh, you know, I, I just think when you look after that, that you see the win in the Haskell, you see the other win. And, you know, Code of Honor did not really run well in the Breeders' Cup. I mean, that, that that does come back to haunt you. I mean, I think the racetrack played a big role in that. But still, uh, you, when you're trying to compare people head-to-head, you've got to take those things into consideration. Had he finished a good second or third in the Breeders' Cup, I think maybe I would have voted for Code of Honor. But uh, when you finish like that, I, 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 just, uh, I just couldn't vote for him. I had to go for maximum security because I just thought, as I say, uh, you, you talk about the performances. I think that's on one level. When you also consider what he overcame, it wasn't the easiest of years. Again, just to play out devil's advocate, two of the races he ran this year were a listed stake at Monmouth, which he didn't even win after the Derby, right. and then a grade three, the bold ruler, which he did win, but a grade three against lesser competition. So you're really basing this on the Cigar Mile, the Haskell, and the Florida Derby, and I guess, to a lesser extent, the Kentucky Derby. Three-year-old champion winning a listed stake in June. That seems a little bit incongruous to me. Well, again, you have, as I say, I think you do have to take you take into consideration, uh, you know, a lot of what happened in the race. I mean, 
Uh, again, this was a horse that had its share of physical problems. I think that race in the Pegasus, which was the listed stakes, I think he faced a pretty good horse in King for a Day. I mean, that was a pretty good race horse. Code of Honor, too, at the start of the year, he ran in $100,000 unlisted, you know, listed stakes and was fourth. You know, when you look at the whole record of Code of Honor, he only won half his start. You know, he won four out of eight starts in 2019. So he had four losses. Maximum Security had one loss and then a disqualification in which he did win the race. So, uh, you know, I, I just think, uh, I think Code of Honor, as I say, the Travers uh, was a very nice win for him. No doubt. Great effort in the jockey club. But again, when you finish seventh in the Breeders' Cup Classic and you got beat 15 lengths, that was, I think, the spoiler. If he was more competitive in the Breeders' Cup, I, I think it could have been him. I just think maximum security did not give you one bad effort all year. I mean, the time he lost, he stumbled coming out of the gate uh, in a race that was basically a prep race for him. And uh, that was really the only time anyone finished in front of him. As I say, with Code of Honor, you do have the four losses that you have to look at. You know, in a lot of them, there's no excuse. But the key part is that Breeders' Cup Classic. Had he not run in the Breeders' Cup Classic, it might have been easier to make him horse, to make him the three-year-old champion. And I could understand if they didn't want to go out there. He had a good campaign. He had a tough campaign, totally different track, clearly did not like it. And you hate to take that away from a horse. But again, when you're looking at another horse who really, if you're going to say, what was his slip-up? His slip-up was he stumbled to the start and got beat about one length in this uh, Pegasus race to a horse that turned out to be the second choice in the uh, Pegasus, in the Haskell. To me, that's, that's just a better resume overall. I have a little bit more to say about Maximum Security's candidacy as three-year-old champion, which I'll save for my commentary at the end, because I know everybody who listens stays all the way to the end to listen to the commentary, (laughs) right? Bobby Halt of the New York Hot List is our first guest of 2020 here on In the Gate. Now, the horse that won the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile beating Omaha Beach is spun to run, and he will be facing Omaha Beach again in the Pegasus World Cup, the first major race of 2020. But Maximum Security will not be there, and Code of Honor will not be there. Maximum Security is waiting for Saudi Arabia, the world's richest race, the Saudi Cup, in February. It's very tempting to make this a political discussion. I'll only do it to the extent of saying... With what's going on in the Middle East right now, how do you think that is going to impact whether trainers bring their horses over for the Saudi Cup and or the Dubai World Cup in March? Or maybe they take a look at that Pegasus again and say, maybe we ought to just stay here. That's a very hard question to answer. It's hard to understand how people feel. I will say this. I am confident in saying that the People, especially in Dubai, where the ruler of the country is behind the horse race, I think they are going to bend over backwards to provide security and take care of the participants. I I would hope the same thing is going to happen in the Saudi Arabia race and that it does not become a powder keg for anyone. But that is a question that you just can't answer. I, I think it's very hard. It's an individual decision. It's a lot of money. I understand why people go. I wouldn't blame them. A lot of people who have no dog in the fight are quick to come up with answers of morally questions of what they're going to do. When it's up to you, Gary West was all set to run his horse uh, in the Pegasus when it was a $9 million first. 
he was happy to take the four million winner's share of the purse and just not go to the Middle East. But when you cut the purse out of nowhere to three billion, the winner will get maybe like one point five million, something like that. Uh, and you have this once in a you know once in a lifetime horse who could easily win a ten million dollar race and probably turn around the next month and win a twelve billion dollar race. Uh, it's hard because this is an expensive sport. I mean, as much as these people are rich, there's a lot of money that goes into this. So uh, you understand it. Uh, as of now, I haven't heard anyone saying they're going to change their mind about going. I'm sure people are a little bit nervous. But, I mean, let's be frank. I think any time you go over there, there's probably reason to be nervous. So it's just an individual decision. And I, I wouldn't chastise anyone, whatever they decide, because whatever they feel is right for them. That's their call. It's not, it's, it's, I make my own decision on my life. You make your own decision on your own life. And I think that's the way it goes. By the way, I think you're underselling the Saudi Cup. I believe the purse is $20 million. Well, it's, it's $10 million to win. You get $10 million for the 20. That, that, that's what I'm saying. And he's Gary West is looking at it. I will get $10 million. I will go home with $10 million if I win in, in that term. So again, when you look at it, that now, you basically have to win the Pegasus seven times with that 1.54 share of the purse compared to the 10 million that he will win, take home for winning the Saudi Cup, where he will be the favorite in a one turn mile and an eighth race. It's definitely, I don't know if they have betting in Saudi Arabia, but I know in the American pools, he's going to be favored. And, you know, you're running for seven times the money. That's a pretty compelling reason. Nonetheless, in the Pegasus World Cup, you do have some horses with some credentials, including Higher Power, the Pacific Classic winner. We mentioned Omaha Beach Roadster for Bob Baffert is aiming toward the Pegasus, and you will be there. Uh, how do you see this first major race of the year shaping up? The best horse right now in training is Maximum Security, no doubt. After that, the case could be made that Omaha Beach is fun to run, especially at a mile and an eighth might be the second and third best with McKinsey right there with them. So uh, when you get fun to run and uh, Omaha Beach, I think you got a pretty darn good race. I mean, there's some interesting possibilities of the horses who were nominated. It'd be interesting if Gift Box comes, uh, comes over. He's done very well. This is a horse a lot of people in the East might have remembered with Chad Brown, the Farishes. And, and you know, he was good, but, you know, he, he kept coming up in the minor spots. Went out west to John Sadler and Verona's Racing. All of a sudden, he's winning all these stakes at Santa Anita. He came east to Churchill for the Stephen Foster, and he flopped. So we'll see if he's going to be the one that they decide to send him to the race. He could be a good one. Matt Wizard, people know his story, the $15,000 flamer who ran against maximum security in the world's most famous $16,000 maiden flamer. And uh, it looks like he'll be in there. I think it'll be a good competitive horse race. It doesn't, I think, have the superstar, Gunrunner, Arrogate, California Chrome. I don't think Omaha Beach is in that category. Uh, but it should be a good, good, interesting horse race. It's good to get back into talking about racing. And Bobby Hall, yes. there's nobody better to do it with. So thank you so much. Uh, no problem, Barry. Thank you. Always great to chat with you. So when we come back here on In the Gate, the site of the world's first million-dollar horse race is short on dollars and short on time to secure them. Welcome back to In the Gate. In July of 2000, nearly 20 years ago, Churchill Downs, home of the Kentucky Derby, purchased Arlington Park in Chicago for nearly $71 million dollars. 
Arlington's owner, Dick Duchessois, had closed the track in 1998 and 1999, saying that he could not compete with other gambling businesses. He opened again in May of 2000, presumably with the knowledge that a sale was coming. At the time, Churchill was in something of an arms race against the Stronach Group when it came to buying up tracks. The idea was to create networks of tracks for simulcasting and cross-promotion of races and events. In 1999, Churchill bought Calder Racecourse in Miami and Hollywood Park in California, and then bought Fairgrounds in New Orleans in 2004. This was meant to counter the Stronach Group, which began its buying spree in 1998 with Santa Anita. Then they added Gulfstream Park in Florida, both major Maryland tracks, Laurel and Pimlico, as well as Golden Gate Fields and Portland Meadows in Oregon. Stronach versus Churchill wasn't exactly the Cold War, but the battle lines had been drawn. It seemed that Churchill was the first to blink. Churchill dumped Hollywood Park like a hot potato in 2005, just six years after buying it. Churchill said at the time that California has forsaken racing and its needs. Reports came from fairgrounds in 2013 that the turf course was too dangerous to race and that the track had been poorly maintained ever since the Churchill purchase. At the same time, Churchill was trying any maneuvering possible to get out of its obligation to operate racing at Calder. Eventually, the Stronach-owned Gulfstream Park worked out a lease agreement to run the Calder meet in October and November. This year, 2020, is the final year of Churchill's obligation to lease the meet, after which it may convert the track into a shipping logistics center or something like that. Which brings us to Arlington, home of the first-ever million-dollar race in 1981. The Arlington's future has been uncertain for many years, but now the combination of a new gaming bill in the state of Illinois and the lack of a written agreement with good old Churchill has the folks at Arlington quite worried. Let's get some perspective on this growing concern from Nicole Newlist, who writes and blogs for the website BlinkersOff.com. That's Blinkers-Off.com. She's based in the Chicagoland area, and we welcome Nicole for the first time here to Win the Gate. So, first of all, explain the new gaming bill signed in 2019 by Governor Jay Pritzker and what that means for Arlington. Okay, so the gaming bill at 35,000 feet, something that Illinois Racing has been clamoring for since at least the late 1990s based on old articles I've been reading in Illinois Racing News and goodness knows where. The gaming bill means that you can have gaming at the racetracks. Now, it is a full casino bill. It's not just slot machines. It allows horse race tracks to have up to 1,200 gaming positions of slot machines and table games. Now, it means that for all the tracks, not just Arlington. There are three tracks in Illinois, Arlington, Hawthorne, and Fairmont Park. Now, Fairmont and Hawthorne have both said, great, we're planning on doing the gaming. Here are our expansion plans. They've both put in their applications with the gaming board, and now it's under the long review under the gaming board. Arlington, it's a little more thorny, mainly because Churchill Downs Incorporated, which is the parent company for Arlington, also owns 
a majority stake in the parent company of Rivers Casino. Rivers Casino is in Des Plaines, which is a suburb about a 20-minute drive from Arlington Park. I take the train out to Arlington Park. Des Plaines is four stops up the metro from Arlington Park. So pretty close. And really, that was the 1,000-pound gorilla in the room in the dates hearing this year. The dates hearing is basically just where you go before the racing board being like, hey, these are the race dates that we plan to run next year. And bill became a big issue for that because it was the first big racing board meeting since the announcement that Arlington was going to seek a casino. Why would Churchill buy Rivers Casino when they already owned a track where a racino was going to be allowed? We've all been kind of wondering that same thing. It seems like in recent years, a lot of Churchill Downs purchases, they've diversified a lot further from just being a horse racing company and bought a lot more casino properties, online gaming properties. And, you know, obviously I'm not a fly in the wall in Churchill's corporate boardroom and most people in Illinois racing aren't, but none of us saw it as a good sign. We'll put it that way. Well, Churchill CEO Bill Carstanian actually made no bones about being upset that part of the would-be casino's profit at Arlington would have to go to race purses. So that kind of tells you where he is in terms of racing versus gaming. What do you think about that? Yeah, that I've told a bunch of people this, and I'll say it here. It very much felt like saying the quiet part loud to me. They're doing what they're doing in Kentucky, and they're putting the, they're putting the energy into turfway but as far as arlington it really is disappointing to see that the purses at turfway have shot up the way they are whereas they're about the gaming person the gaming money going towards as being some kind of onerous demand and another thing that speaks to that same idea is one of the other things that the illinois gaming bill allowed is sports betting the thing is though the slot positions the table game positions that has to subsidize purses. Sports betting does not, and Arlington has announced plans to do sports betting. Like, in other words, it's not like you can either have a certain number of gaming positions or sports betting. You can have a number of gaming positions and sports betting. Am I getting that right? Yes, it's allowing gaming positions and sports betting. And, you know, the other tracks are planning on having sports betting, too. You're going to be able to bet sports at Hawthorne, you're going to be able to bet sports at Fairmont, but they're also planning on having the gaming positions that fund the purses. Whereas Churchill, Arlington, they have not announced any sort of plans to do a casino. They've said they're not pursuing it at this time, but they're interested in doing sports betting. Well, while we've detailed on this show in the past many times how short-sighted a racino can be when it comes to thoroughbred racing's long-term health, how much could a racino and or sports betting at Arlington stanch the bleeding in the short term? Sports betting is going to do a whole lot to stanch the bleeding in Illinois because that money is not going to go towards purses. It may do a little bit in the sense of bringing people in to come bet sports, but without better purses, it's going to continue to be a lot more attractive to send horses to 
other local jurisdictions that have better supplemented purses. You know, states like Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana, all of whom have some supplemental gaming, and that makes the purses higher than they are in Illinois. And then also from the breeding perspective, breeding in Illinois has been going down, down, down in recent years. Like my, my favorite read of the year is the Illinois Full Report. But it's also a little sad just because of how the full crops have been dropping. The only way that the full crops in Illinois are not going to keep dropping the way they are is if people who breed horses have any sort of confidence that there's a long-term plan for stability in Illinois. Now, with these capital improvements for the casinos, Hawthorne going in and planning on building a casino, Fairmont going in and planning on building a casino, that is a long-term capital improvement, and I think a sign of confidence that between that and the purse money from the casinos may help bring the breeding back. Arlington, on the other hand, the fact that they're not putting in the capital improvement to do something that will bolster the purses, that certainly doesn't help. Nicole Newlist of the website Blinkers Off, that's blinkers-off.com, joins us here on In the Gate. She's also a chart caller at Hawthorne, something that would just blow my mind. I shudder to think what comment line she'd use on me. But so now, naturally, the, the Illinois Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association is upset that Churchill is betraying not just the horsemen, but the lawmakers who amended the gaming bill to allow for an Arlington Park Racino in the first place. In your mind, how viable is their complaint? I think it's a legitimate complaint. It does feel like a slap in the face after several decades of Arlington trying to push for, hey, we need... We need supplemental gaming. We need something else to keep this going on. And going back to what I was saying about the racing board meetings, it was the thousand pound gorilla in the room. It was Commissioner McCauley when he was doing the questioning during the first half of the dates meeting was like, what changed? He brought this stack of papers and it was these printouts of Arlington's kind of legislative lobbying legislative information documents. And there was a lot of it that was saying, we need supplemental gaming. We need a gaming bill. We need a gaming bill. And he asked, what changed? And at the meetings, they were dancing around it, but everyone else in that room was like, well, we're pretty sure we know what changed. And what changed was CDI buying a majority interest in Rivers Casino, Rivers Casino being 20 minutes up the road from Arlington. And in a sense, I get it. They get a bigger cut from the shareholders. The company gets a bigger cut from the gaming position at Rivers versus the gaming position at Arlington Park. But that's one of the costs of doing business as a racetrack is you've got to fund the purses and it's a conflict of interest. Churchill claims they can only offer $130,000 a day in purses. The Illinois horsemen want 200000 per day on average to run their meet in 2020. What do you make of that? Well, $130,000 a day is still a decline from recent years. The $200,000 a day is definitely a step up from what it's been recently and a goal to make it competitive with surrounding states. And At this point, the way things are going, I don't think they're getting up to $200,000 a day without seriously spending some of their money or finding another source of revenue, be it 
gaming or taking from something else within the business. We all know how negotiation works. You got to shoot high and hope you're going to meet in the middle somewhere. 130, though, that's probably not going to be enough to keep people around for the long term. Where do you see this going? It's really hard to tell because I'm loath to say anything until I see what happens in 2020. We still need something in 2020 to be able to tide through to 2021. And what I figured would be the next big fight was getting a contract in place with Arlington in the first place. And as we've mentioned, with the purses being one of the big sticking points, that's not in place yet. We're in uncharted territory. Usually that contract had to be in place before the race meet started. The law changed in 2019. It now has to be in place before the turn of the year. And it's not. So I don't know. A long, long term, let's say Arlington never puts a casino in there. I'm, I'm not sure it survives unless they end up selling to someone else who does. And I'm not sure how much of that's going to happen because, again, that would be a competitor for Rivers Casino. <laughs> now, it was a little easier to envision a future, say the worst case scenario happens and Arlington isn't a thing. It was easier to envision the future when there was the new harness track on the horizon because you could possibly see, okay, the new harness track builds, harness runs there, thoroughbred runs at Hawthorne all year long. Fairmont continues to run down in St. Louis and it would be tough and that we'd lose kind of the big world show place of racing, but we'd have stable tracks that have really bought into this racino plan. But with the wrench thrown into it of, okay, it doesn't look like that track at Tinley park is going to happen after all, then the harness horsemen are hung out to dry if Hawthorne doesn't continue to run harness part of the year and thoroughbred part of the year. I don't know. I don't know if this matters at all. It might not. It might just be Nero fiddling while Rome burns. But Arlington basically runs one big day a year, let's be honest. And the money for those big stakes races on Arlington Million Day seem to go to out-of-state trainers and owners. Chad Brown, as we know, won all four major stakes on Arlington Million Day in 2019. So you have these Illinois horsemen who are not even getting the big money. Does that factor in at all to what's going on here? Oh, certainly. There have been suggestions that, okay, so you're not going to do the casinos to try and bolster your purses? Well, we know where a large bag of money is that is being carried out of state every single year. Why not use that to bolster purses? And so, yeah, it's, it's an idea that's been floated out there. It doesn't seem from, from my perspective, from what I've picked up, like one is that Arlington is particularly amenable to given that it is their, it is their big race today. And if they lose that publicity for, Arlington Park for what they are, but they're going to have to figure out something to keep these purses competitive or else it's hard to see the future for them. Very sobering way to start the new year, but perspective we certainly need. And Nicole, we appreciate your giving it to us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm 
happy to talk to you about this or anything else, Illinois. Our thanks once again to Nicole Newlist and Bobby Halt. You may believe that Maximum Security is three-year-old of the year. You may think he got robbed on Derby Day. Or maybe you think Code of Honor's wins were more impactful. Could Omaha Beach have kept them both at bay? But only one of them is headed to the same breeding operation that has two Triple Crown champions in tow. So with stats among the three horses we mentioned fairly similar, why was this how Coolmore chose to go? They won't say this, but I think one factor was just plain hype. How owner Gary West kept filing suits and offering side wagers on Maximum Security's future races, hinting that rivals would only ever see his glutes. In a world saturated with media, hype is not that difficult, and Gary West has used it perfectly to land a big windfall for a horse who might but might not be that great, but has jumped to the top of his class commercially. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.